Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bo. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down with James Smith. James Smith is a two-time author. He's a personal trainer from the UK, from London. I think he said West, West London. I have no idea. It doesn't really matter. But today we have a really interesting conversation with him about his career trajectory. He is known for filling out full auditoriums and giving nutrition and um, exercise talks, which I find really interesting because not a lot of people are able in the industry, not a lot of people are able to bring in, you know, a, a, a crowd that big. So we talk about that and how he was able to make that happen for himself. We talk about the anti-diet culture in fitness, talk about his thoughts about intuitive eating and what his strategy is when it comes to weight loss for his clients talk about body positivity what does that mean to him and to us and finally we touch on the two books that he's written one of them is called not a diet book and the other one that came out more recently is called not a life coach he tells us about what's in it who's it for um, and what the main takeaway points are so I highly recommend that you check him out, James Smith, and that you check out his books because I think they'll provide a lot of value for yourself uh, and for your clients if you're a coach. If you're looking to get strong, lean, good at weightlifting, good at powerlifting, bodybuilding, pretty much anything fitness, don't forget to check out our website, hybridperformancemethod.com. Uh, we have an awesome app that's relatively new with all of our newest programs on it called Hybrid Strength Coach. You can find that through our main site or by going directly to hybridstrengthcoach.com. As always, don't forget to screenshot uh, this episode while you're listening to it. Post it on your social media. Tag me, tag Steffi, tag Hybrid Unlimited. If you want some brownie points, tag our guest. Uh, his handle is James Smith PT. Uh, and you'll automatically be entered into a draw to potentially win some hybrid legacy brand gear, uh, the official gear of the podcast and of hybrid performance method. This episode is brought to you by Stay Classy Meats. Stay Classy Meats curates quality specialty meat from small batch ranchers and processors across the Northern Rockies. Check them out at stayclassymeats.com and use code HYBRID in all caps to get 10% off. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. That's it for housekeeping. So let's sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Well, hello. Welcome to Hybrid Unlimited. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy day to sit down and chat with us. Appreciate you. My pleasure. It's, it's nice to be on. I was just saying how important I feel. you got this amazing setup. You guys are dominating your space with what you're doing for work. So I was very pleasantly surprised when I got the invite to come on and talk. Well, come on, man. You're, you're like the biggest, the biggest fitness star that I know. You fill out <laughs> full auditoriums with people. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit crazy if I'm honest, but like, what is I, would that about? Compare, I would, I would compare it to like getting a, a max lift 
on, say, deadlift or back squat. You progressively overloaded the whole way there. And for a long time, you were doing probably things that weren't very remarkable. But then someone sees your PR and they're like, oh my God, they're blown away. So I wouldn't say I've got any magical processes apart from, I, I was used to doing talks in front of 50 people. When I was uh, PTing on the gym floor, I would do like little workshops for three to five people. So it's just really like an accumulation of hustling over the years to get here. So what was that one remarkable thing that drew people towards you? I think um, I would say it was unremarkable things uh, consistently. So the same with social media. Like uh, I wouldn't say that running an email list or posting content or talking on a podcast is is remarkable at all. But the amount of times that you do it is what separates you from everyone else. The amount of times you do things without gratification or instant return. Like the amount of times I went on two tours without making money, and most people would look at you and they go, "You're insane. What are you doing? Why are you going out to the middle of nowhere?" to chat to 50 people and lose two grand but you have to play the long game with that kind of stuff so I think really it's it's just the amount of time we kind of dug in our heels and we're like looking at the long game that's kind of got us to where we're at can uh, can you talk about that career trajectory that you had because I think like you said a lot of people see that end result of what you're doing now filling out auditoriums and I'm like Yeah, it's insane. It's like, is are you part of the Rolling Stones? I Bro, don't know. But listen, <laughs> listen. Every time you post one of those photos in front of the crowd, I send it to Hayden and to Jordan Shallow, the Muscle Dog, and we're like, "What the actual fuck? How is he doing that? That's impressive." Well, I'm sure a lot of people sort of see that as like, you know, the 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 pinnacle of where they would want to be. Uh, so if you can talk a little bit of just like where you started and how that all sort of turned into that, I think that'd be really interesting for the listeners. When I was, I'm 32 now, when I was 26, uh, I moved back in my parents because it was closer to the gym that I worked at. And I was doing like 12 hours of PT sessions a day. And I was so fucked doing that, that I needed my parents. I was like, mom, can you like leave over some food from dinner so I can take it out of the house at five in the morning? And I was just servicing sessions for like 35 pounds Uh, an hour which isn't anything crazy but uh, in three and a half four years of, of doing that on the floor I got a good understanding of how to coach normal people not athletes normal people and I got a good idea of how normal people struggled and my gym was 20 pounds uh, so maybe like 30 US dollars a month so it wasn't high end and I started doing some kind of marketing initiatives like an email list and posting daily content but when I got to about 27, 28 I actually had a psychedelic experience and uh, I was like, I'm going to go to Australia. I was like, I'm bored. I was like, I'm making good money. I'm servicing a good amount of clients, but I'm bored. I want to be in a more competitive fitness scene. And when I went to Australia, I, I pretty much offered online coaching for the first time. And I said to my clients, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm finding my feet. So with a PDF template, WhatsApp, and a busy WhatsApp for desktop, like the biggest secret for an online trainer, just chatting to people every day. I realized, one, I could work with more clients at the same time. Two, I could have more interactions with them from an online perspective. And three, I could make money without having to go into the gym and giving people seven hours of attention or eight hours of attention. And I realized that I could then create, I realized there's an unfair advantage for people to work online. Because if I get caffeinated up and service all my clients, I can now have three hours to read a book and make creative content. And the further you kind of get ahead of your competitors, the easier that becomes. And over the last few years, uh, it was only less than a year after going to Australia, I was fully online, started uh, creating an app. And then with an app, 
you no longer have to repeat yourself and you can start putting in modules and getting people onto that and having a scalable business, which then gave me more free time to be a creative. And everything since then, I kind of have the fitness app, but I only ever cater towards normal populations. People go, can you help me with running? I'm like, not really. Can you help me with CrossFit? Not really. You know, if you're Susan, you're 35, you've just done Slimming World and this boot camp with a PT around the corner and you're still fed up, you come to me. I'm just like the normal person that, treat, that trains normal people. And um, after any kind of success in the personal training realm, I kind of realized I wanted to help people with a bit of lifestyle advice. Not a life coach was the book because I, I was like, well, guys, I'm not, I'm not your life coach. I'm not that cheesy guy that's like, hey, guys, get your arms in the air. We're going to do stuff. But <laughs> it, was, it was more about saying to people like, look, if you're struggling to manage your calories and hit your workouts, if you're dating someone just based on how long you've been dating them, it's not going to help. And if you're working a job that doesn't inspire you or fulfill you at all, I'm not surprised you come home and eat. So it was almost like a precursor to helping people lose weight that could help them a bit with their life design. And the talks at the moment technically are book tour events, but it's really just using the celebration of a book release to go to events and get in front of people. And the venues have just been getting bigger and bigger. And I mean, next year we're looking at a venue that's going to hold three and a half thousand people, which is mental. That's insane. What? And you do parties yeah. now, apparently, huh? Yeah, so, so like, in, in the beginning, when we'd have, like, 60 people, 70 people, if we had, like, 120 people, I was like, this is amazing. And when we did the events in these small towns, I'd be like, hey, anyone know of a good bar? They'd be like, this one. I'd be like, sweet, we're going to be in there after. We'll have photos and selfies with everyone, and we'd end up getting smashed with everyone. And then as the events started getting bigger, we could then put on after parties. And the one we did at the weekend, they said, we'll give you that room for free as long as people are drinking. And we got 500 people to then go to the after party. We got the venue for free. And my events team also do festivals. So they get a proper DJ, proper production. They know about the wristbands and all of the, all of the small kind of things that when you get fitness events or fitness people to run events, they miss those really small little key components, ticketing and all of this stuff. So again, yeah, the, the parties as well, we say to people like, look, we're going to do this afterwards, socialize. And it's, it's another way of just kind of separating yourself from your competition in the, self, in the sense you're like, hey, yeah, let's, let's all go out and get smashed. Yeah, that's awesome. That's what, what do you consider your, your job title now? Like you can, are you, if someone had, if you had to say it in one sort of like phrase or word, are you an author? Are you an entertainer? What, what, is, what are you? <laughs> I'm in an existential crisis at the moment. No, I'm always <laughs> a personal trainer. And it's the same reason that I don't do like paid promotions because I like to stay true to the fact that years on the floor, I was just giving people advice and the, even the life advice stuff, I was always given on the floor. You know, someone's doing their back spots and they re-rack and they're like, fuck, my boyfriend's a dickhead. And you're like, okay, <laughs> tell me about that. And they're like, he's just doing this. He's out all the time. And you're there like, look, I'm only a personal trainer, but maybe you should dump him. Oh, but I'm worried about this. And then I'll get my Tinder out and I'll be like, look, it's really easy. I'm like, it's really easy. Like, just showing them this kind of stuff. So it's always been that kind of like life advice or coach, I suppose, putting coach. The book stuff, or I, I feel like a fraud when I'm writing a book. I, I would say I'll write a good book, but I still don't. I'd never go into a hotel and be like, yes, so um, I'm an author staying in room 314. <laughs> like, it, it's quite a hard transition, isn't it? Like, it, in America, you are fantastic at calling yourself entrepreneurs. It's respected in, in America. In the UK, 
you don't get the same kind of uh, yeah. people like entrepreneur. What? So you just want you just want to make money. You just want to get money from me. Mm. So it's a very difficult kind of uh, uh, terminology to think up. But yeah, I think I still go with personal trainer. Well, that's fine. It didn't used to be that way. Here it used to be like a disguise for people who just didn't have a job. <laughs> like, ah, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. I just yeah. do my own thing. But really, you're between jobs or something like that. Also, I mean, we've talked about this, but people have the term entrepreneur pretty mixed up. Yeah. They like nowadays, you start an online business and you have 10 uh, clients for personal training. And then all of a sudden, your little thingy on Instagram changes from uh, public figure, <laughs> public figure to, to entrepreneur. Yeah. And then you put C- CEO in your title. Yeah. <laughs> so what, uh, what drove you to write this book? Because it's kind of like a fitness industry staple now. I, I, a lot of people reference it and talk about it. And, uh, you know, it's got a catchy title, sort of contrary to what you think would be in it after reading the title. So for me, like, uh, I was very unathletic as, like, a teenager. I was I quite overweight. And I played rugby, which is a very forgiving sport for people that are a bit, like, overweight. It's like, oh, you're a bit fat and you want to play sport. Come play rugby. <laughs> and um, I got into that. I got a lot of frustration through like my late teens getting into my twenties. I even did like Sean T's insanity. Like Duke Duper. Like you, you did the insanity program? I didn't know how to lose fat. I didn't uh, understand how all of this worked. And I was uh, like, dude, those programs are hard if you I actually did, follow them. I did P ninety X and Insanity. <laughs> so, and the frustration, like I would do that and then it was two for ten pound Tuesdays Domino's pizza. So like in my head, I was like, if I'm training I will lose weight, you know, I'll be getting in shape. I, there was no correlation in the nutrition pamphlet. I was like, nah, you don't need that. I was like, if you train hard, you don't need to worry about your diet. So it was a massive chip on my shoulder. When when I learned about calorie counting and macro and energy balance and all of these things, I felt a bit robbed. Like even looking into better programming splits, I was pissed off. So writing the book was like, I would love for someone to be able to read that and be bullshit proof walking through the gym. Someone's like, hey, man, you need to work on your fasting windows. They're like, mm, don't need that. Someone's like, oh, you got to manipulate your carbohydrates. It's not your calories. <laughs> and it was great for me to create a kind of guide that I tried to remove as many of my biases as possible. And then my things that I do have biases with, I was like, the evidence doesn't support this, but this is how I feel. So at least I was quite transparent with that. What are some of those? So for instance, uh, when it comes to the bro split or people, my people, let's say, Sheila, 35, doesn't need a shoulders day. So I see her in the gym with the PT. I was like, she's been training shoulders for 45 minutes. So for me, I know that like Brad Schoenfeld says that as long as you uh, match volume for hypertrophy, you're going to get the same result whether you do it over, say, two, three, four workouts. But for me, I argue that not many average people can maintain that level of intensity doing it all in one session. So I, I became anti-bro split. And then some people would say, oh, well, actually, this says this. And I, I would argue the intensity factor. And again, with intermittent fasting and like autophagy, I, I I think a lot of the purported benefits of fasting are mixed up with people buying into a system that they can adhere to and the fact they're in a deficit. And, mm-hmm. and I don't have enough evidence to say to people, you're wrong, but I'm like, this is how I feel. And um, yeah, when, when someone's like, oh, you know, the anti-aging effects of skipping breakfast, I'm like, fuck off. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not having this. I'm not having this. <laughs> oh, so man. Well, I don't eat breakfast, so maybe uh, I'll be... Oh, the thing is, neither do I a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. 
And for me, I, it's the easiest meal to skip. I can be caffeined up, I'm busy, I've got emails, I don't want to plate of food in front of my emails. But for, for so many people, they're like, oh, you're, you're 200 kg, I bet it's because you eat breakfast. I'm like, well, we're a bit out of it. <laughs> yeah, there's Wait, a, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a lot of things to check off the list before you get down to something like fasting or even thinking about playing around with that. Yeah, the yeah. thing is, what, what happens with people is that they don't want to do the homework, you know? They don't want to do um, the learning for themselves, you know? Because obviously it's a lot easier to just stick with a couple rules. Oh, you're telling me that I can lose 20 pounds if I only eat between 2 and 6 p.m.? Sick. And that's it. That's all they have to think about, you know? But in reality, you know, you read a book, you understand calorie balance, you understand what the hierarchy of priorities is when it comes to dieting first is energy in energy out then it's the composition of your food then it's your micronutrients then it's nutrient timing then it's supplements you know and then you can get into some other fun stuff to like make your life a little bit easier you know depending on what you want and what you need um, i think um, a lot of the, the main thing surrounds education and what i feel is You guys are incredible business people. I've been watching from the outside for a long time and admiring your watch collections. And uh, <laughs> you then create a system where you can educate someone fully and they can go because that's fine because you are going to get someone else in through the door. Mm -hmm. And you run, a, you run a proper business that has a proper churn rate. But for a lot of people in this industry, they never quite let their client know everything because they're so worried about them being self-sufficient and going off on their own. And I can spot it from a mile away. And... You know, like I always say, that when you get a driving instructor to teach how to drive, you need that person next to you to babysit you, to tell you off for not checking your mirrors. But ultimately, you want to be able to drive without them. Mm -hmm. If someone still had a... You know, people are like, oh, you know, I just like having a coach by my side. I was like, I get that, but we should be looking at personal training for the majority of people as a driving instructor to upskill you so you can do it on your own. And mm -hmm. then your habits are going to improve when you're on your own, maybe even at a faster rate than what you were doing with someone in the car. Mm -hmm. For sure. I always... I think about our nutrition coaching. Look at Dexter. <laughs> My dog is just looking at me. Um, I think about nutrition coaching more as like a three-month-long course than coaching. You know, I because we have a minimum three-month. What do we still? A nutrition, nutrition, yeah. yeah. A minimum three-month commitment. So I see it as like, listen, you're gonna invest this amount of money and three months of your time into learning everything that you need to know for a lifelong of uh, sustainable habits and results you know and that's i think that's a much better way of looking at it rather than like oh a coach that's going to tell you what to eat when to eat it for an indefinite period of time for it, sure it is amazing how many people still come into the program though and just say i just want a, a meal plan just tell me what exactly what to eat and it's like to me that's the worst thing because as soon as you don't have access to those exact meals or you lose contact with the coach it's like your whole thing is out the window mm -hmm. I want to think, uh, go ahead. Oh, go on. No, go on. <laughs> it was, was like, uh, with me, when I got into it, and I know a lot of people really shit on calorie counting, I'd be very transparent with the fact that sometimes I'm coming home from training and I just want to buy a sandwich. I was like, I know it's not the best food, but it's what I fucking want. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not going to be the best option as far as protein timings post-training. and all the, I was, But I want a fucking sandwich. And all the other trainers in the UK are like, what? You should be having your Tupperware and all of this. And I was like, no, have your fucking sandwich. And I think ears kind of perks up as people are like, what, we can do this? That's crazy. And I think there's always been these like two extremes of where people mistake an optimal process for a prerequisite. And, you know, the scale of optimal versus suboptimal 
we need to appreciate for the majority of people, optimizing every process makes your life pretty fucking boring and dull. I mean, even people at the top of their game like to come down on that scale a bit, with drinking, with eating out, with having a slightly higher body fat percentage for several periods of the year. And I think so many people miss that trick where everyone was trying to work on this full optimizer process, like we'll get you lean, we'll get you this. And I was like, hey, there's a life with sandwiches and beers. It's not quite where you want to be, but I can help you get there. Yeah, no, I get that. And it's interesting to see the the shift because, you know, the industry's gone through a number of different transformations, right? We started with clean eating and then we found the industry shifted to flexible dieting and everybody was obsessed with Pop-Tarts and donuts. And I was, we were the king and queen <laughs> of if it fits your macros for a while there. We were if it fits your macrosing ourselves to dilution yeah. and to illness. Yeah. We, we had a period of time where we would eat um, okay, there's two. The Taco Rico period of time. There's this place called Taco Rico that makes XL burritos. So it's like a quadruple burrito. It's it's four tortillas. And imagine how much four tortillas can hold. Okay, I'll let that to your imagination. And that would be our only meal of the day. <laughs> yeah, we just were like a, like, an, like a snake. Just eat that and just digest it for the next 24 hours. <laughs> it's, like 900, it's like 900 calories already just in the wraps. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing the maths in my head. Once you've been that, because I've been there as well. Once you've done the, if it fits your macros lifestyle, you see binary code like the matrix. You're like tortilla 250. That's for a normal <laughs> plane. Of those pins and then you're like carbohydrates up. My blue component of my fitness pal. But people think this is a mental illness, which we joke around it being, but also it's a very calculated yeah. you know, way of life. Like even if you're having fajitas at home, to go back up to the array and just go, I'm not going to have another wrap. I'm just going to have the chicken and the peppers and the onions yeah. because, you know, these are calculations, not obsessions. And I think so many people, the, the kind of next phase after what you were saying then is this, oh, that's obsessive, that's ridiculous, this very like left, wokish, like, you know, in, oh, that's obsessive, you're going to get mental health disorder, counting your calories. Um, if you mention anything to do with obesity, you're fat phobic, like, and this kind of trend of overcompensation is creating a bit of ridiculousness in the industry that no one's talking about because everyone's so worried about getting cancelled now. Mm. And it's created a, an echo chamber where a lot of people are now body positivity and some people skew it into glorifying obesity or whatever you want to call it. But now the comment sections are only filled with support because people don't want to be labelled for transphobic and it's creating like a, a false kind of understanding of where people are at. And I think it's quite sad to see because I think there are a lot of people that have just been let down by the fitness industry and let down by the diet industry. And they've seen nowhere else to go apart from body positivity and, you know, big is beautiful, <laughs> whatever it is. And I kind of look at those people and I'm like, wow, if, if someone had done their job and really helped you, I don't know if you'd still be here preaching that kind of support. Yeah. I, I don't think it's the fitness industry or the, the diet industry. I think, honestly, the the messages that are sent in mass media are essentially coming from the food industry. You know, it's Monsanto advertising that fats are bad for you and wanting you to just chug all the sugar in their, in their juices. And then it's the, the people that produce bacon saying that sugar is actually bad. And then that creates that confusion and dichotomy in, in, in people that they just don't know really what's, what's real and what's not or what's, well, who to listen to. It's, it's also and gone it's so far it's with... It's perpetuated by people in fitness who don't know how to interpret and, and read research. Well, and the media and government are getting involved in it in a weird way too. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure in the UK now, 
you can't advertise with what they consider to be unrealistic body types on like billboards and public posters and stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, there's been some kind of uh, government legislations, but when I look at them, I'm like, I feel like the government have just got a quota. They're like, oh, we've got to keep these people happy. Yeah, have this legislation, have this one. Because, I mean, COVID-19, for instance, there is such uproar with media at the moment surrounding vaccines. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm very pro-vaccine. I don't really care too much. The vaccine passport is quite authoritarian, but I was like, if it's going to get me into America, fucking stick what you want in me. I've started worse it was test anything five years ago and I didn't know where I was getting it from. So, you know, <laughs> I don't really care about that too much, but there's not been any real narrative surrounding people's health and their level of fitness and their level of obesity. And we've got so much here, but like literally saying like, guys, you should take care of yourself. Otherwise, you know, this viral disease that is infecting the world on a, you know, on a rapid basis, you have a much higher chance of having complications if you're obese, but that's not mentioned. You know, and so you've got these legislation saying, okay, we can't put a guy with a six pack on a billboard. But at the same time, there's absolutely zero talk about fat loss to help your chances of, you know, managing the severity of symptoms for COVID. And I'm like, if you if the government really cared, I think they'd be doing more in different areas. Yeah, but I think again, well, what are they gonna do? They're gonna they're gonna force people to maintain a certain BMI or a certain body weight. That would be insane. What? But people know. People who are obese, like clinically obese, they know it's not good for their health. I think the the real issue is, like that body, the body types you see in magazines, billboards, all that stuff, they're realistic for a very small amount of people who are willing to do the work to get there, right? Those people earn the right to be on those billboards, those posters, whatever. But I don't think the general public likes to be reminded that if they had discipline and work ethic and you know, cared to learn about health and exercise and diet, that they could do that also. So they just go, nah, that's not, uh, that's not reasonable. That's, you know. Genetics, drugs, they have too much time. Whatever the excuse is, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, I think that's where the actual anger comes from. You know, it's like, it almost reminds me of like the incel population. They want women. They just can't have them. So then they hate them. And it's the same thing. It's like, if you don't have the, the drive and all those things I just mentioned to like have a body type like that, you go, ah, oh, that's stupid. That's unrealistic. I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to see it. And then you end up with these sort of like legislation. I think you're completely right. And for instance, with the vaccine passport things, they said, right, we're not saying you have to do it, but if you want to travel, if you want to get into the cinema, if you want to do this, you have to have it done. And even in the lockdown, for instance, they could have been a bit smarter with me. They could have gone, everything is locked down except for the gym, you know? And when you go to the gym, we're actually going to be employing uh, people that have been made unemployed to stand with you, to, you know, uh, you know, coach you. They've been quickly sent through a, an online course from the government to help get you active. There could have been so many get active schemes. You know, I appreciate that social distancing was like a big thing, but even then, lock down everything, mm -hmm. keep gyms open. There could have been something to at least pigeonhole people in a direction to go with. But with the physiques that you say, I got in a bit of a shit this week for taking a pop at professional bodybuilding. And what, what people don't say? realize is- What did you say? I said, if you want to go compare your insecurities to someone else's, starve yourself for 12 weeks to cover yourself in fake tan and call it a sport, then you do you. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I, I said in the post, I admire the top one to 2%. I mean, yourself, Holly Baxter, Lane Norton, you know, these people that are making a, a legitimate living from it, I'm like, well done guys. Because the truth is, and I said in the post, 98% of the people are not going to make a living from it 
and they're just going to create some kind of disordered eating and body image issue, mm-hmm. especially if you haven't got a successful business running concurrently with what you're doing, you create an identity where you are all about how you look and how you step up on stage. So if you have a bad cut or a bad prep or whatever, people lose their identity. Whereas, you know, the, the process for that, I don't agree with many people doing it for the right reasons. I think a lot of personal trainers are doing it to remain relevant or get respect from their peers. And I was, I went on anabolics in my early twenties, just purely so I could be taken seriously. And in my mind, I, I exactly know where they are from a psychological standpoint. I was like, I'm six foot, I'm like 90, 94 kilograms. I was like, if I got to like 102, 103 and a bit juicy, you know, a bit swollen, that black PT t-shirt, I could be getting a bit more business, you know. I thought it was, that's what it was all about. So I know where they're at. And for me, coming off cycle and looking at the pictures of when you're on gear and I won't do it again or I could do it again. Oh, you know, it, it wasn't a great place. And when I did that post, I'm only talking to those people. The majority of people I admire in the industry for doing that just laugh. They're like, oh, funny post, he's got a point. Mm-hmm. And... um yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think you can, you can't, you can't please anyone with a post anyway. And for me, no bodybuilders are paying for me for my services. There's not many bodybuilders at my talks. Right. So if I'm going to disgruntle, it's like when you have a pop at vegans, right? You, you put a little pop out there. People are like, what's he doing? They're not coming <laughs> to the talks and it makes other people laugh. Yeah. It sort of goes back to what you were saying about uh, flexible dieting. You know, like there's certainly anything can be taken to an extreme and you can create disordered habits from doing that i think the value of flexible dieting at least my experience with it is for me it 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 should be a prerequisite for most people just to understand what they're eating even if you don't want to track every day if you you don't want to be so like procedural about it like you said just knowing this tortilla is 250 carbs you know i'm gonna have one of them and if i go back maybe i'm just gonna have the chicken because i know what that means now and if you've never learned how to how to track or you've never used an app like MyFitnessPal or my macros or something, it's very assess, difficult to wrap your head your around. Calorie it. requirements. For sure. When I was a kid, I used to eat until I was physically uncomfortable and then I would lie on the couch until I was able to move again. And if I did that for my whole life and never figured out how to, you know, what like carbs, fat and protein were and what that meant, I would probably be an obese person. You know what happens with people as well is that they and I used to do this when I first started dieting, um, comparing what you're eating to what other people are eating. So if you have a friend who's who has the ideal body type that you want to have and you're constantly around her or him and they eat, I don't know, twice as much as you or they eat a bunch of snacks and chocolates and whatnot, you get frustrated because you're like, man, I, you know, I don't eat half of what they eat and look, I can't lose weight. But if you really understood that calorie requirements are individual to everyone depending on so many factors and then if you spend time trying to learn how much that is for you mm-hmm. yeah it's it's perfect to apply the Jocko quote to that the discipline is freedom you know just be disciplined for two weeks two three weeks invest in understanding nutrition and energy balance and then you have a life of of eating whatever you want, whenever you want, within those parameters. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are not even willing to put in that initial investment. No, like, I can't tell you how many times I tried to help my, my parents, and they're relatively healthy people, but just the idea of like having to put everything in their phone and taking that extra minute is enough to deter them from doing the whole process. So it's like, if that's the obstacle that's gonna prevent, you know, and, the, and like I said, these are pretty healthy people. M- most people I don't think are. So it's like, if that's all it takes to deter you from like, a lifetime of understanding nutrition. It's it's a pretty uphill battle for the entire industry. 
you know? And then you see the pushback that we were, we have now, like we were talking about this like anti-diet culture, you know, which is like so counterintuitive. I'm like, how can you be in the fitness industry and promote the opposite of fitness? You know, like you have all these pages, you know, like don't diet at all. Like literally like there's entire subreddits. I don't know if you're, if you're active on Reddit, but on Reddit there's like legitimate entire threads where people will take fitness people's advice, like valid advice, and then just like rip it apart as if it's like, you know, no science, no, no basis to any of it. It would actually upset you. You might not want to look at it. But this episode is brought to you by Stay Classy Meats. Stay Classy Meats curates quality specialty meat from small batch ranchers and processors across the Northern Rockies. They are an athlete focused meat company. Uh, always, never, ever, no hormones, no antibiotics. They source from ranchers who are for the animals to free range graze in low stress environments on nutrient rich regenerative grass. Montana is known for having very productive farmland and the nutrient-rich grass consumed by the animals is passed on to us. They cater to athletes who require the best quality products to put in their bodies. Nutrition is the base of our existence. The better the quality of the inputs, the less stressed out our bodies will be, and the more efficient they will run. Quality, convenience, small batch, that's Stay Classy Meats. Check them out at stayclassymeats.com and use code HYBRID in all caps to get 10% off. This podcast episode is also brought to you by Beam. Beam is committed to producing high quality, natural, innovative wellness products trusted by some of the world's top professional athletes. Beam creates products to support four main categories, balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. These products are combined of both CBD and non-CBD ingredients. By tapping into how we function biologically, CBD can work to regulate pain, mood, appetite, anxiety, and inflammation. As a Hybrid Unlimited listener, you get 15% off your order with code HYBRID in all caps. So check them out. That's BEAM and use code HYBRID in all caps for 15% off. Am I I stay out of Reddit. No, not you. What's that? I stay out of Reddit. I stay out of places like that. Instagram is bad enough with people disputing. Again, what's happened with media and social media is there's never been more competition for a finite amount of attention that exists Mm -hmm. on the internet so now titles have to be more clickbait they have to be more intrusive they have to be more inaccurate you know and even a lot of the times it's like okay calories don't count or you know all of these different things and then you click them you get angry straight away because you know someone's main what they're trying to do is just push people off the scent and get them into their own systems and their own you know anti-diet movement or whatever it is and i think these people are just very disgruntled and you know people aren't opted into fitness the whole time people i get so many unfollows as long with follows you know if people have enough of fitness they can leave at any time people make it seem like we're some kind of draconian coaches that force calorie counting on people this is a resource that we have we're like hey guys it's here if you need it um you know i'll, I'll kind of convince you you need it a bit but if you don't want it they're not going to do it and um it's crazy like it's the same i'll never coach any of my friends or family like i tried when i was younger it just never really works but anyone's like, oh that's that's crazy i would never log my food in there yeah, their receipts from the day that are business expenses, they're on top of it, they're uploading it, they're getting it to the accountants, they're chasing it because, you know, the the loss aversion of losing money that they could have claimed back, that's enough of a traumatic psychological pain for them to do it. But then when you're like, health, fat loss, <laughs> you might not see progress for a few weeks. They're like, nah, this is obsessive. This is bad for my mental health. Yeah, it's, uh, 
they just favor the things that I guess come more naturally to them maybe. And diet's a constant battle. Like it's something that you, you know. Until it's not. Huh? Until it's not. But it's never something that you can just be like, now I don't eat properly anymore. Like you can, all the progress that you make can always be lost, you know? But do you think there's a place for body positivity in this industry? And how are, how are we fucking it up as an industry in your opinion? Um, you know what? There, there is, and I think for me, I was very fortunate to move away from uh, that kind of bodybuilding. I, I did the bodybuilding, but without the fat loss. So I literally just got swollen, out of breath going upstairs. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I actually got into CrossFit a bit, which at first I thought I'd hate. And I realized I was very competitive in that nature. And then I found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I'm obsessed. Like, I'm, I, it's taken over my life. Like, I care more about that than my work sometimes. And um, it's so nice to now be in a long-term performance sport where, yeah, I need to develop, I need to work on mobility, performance, all of those things. But if I turn up to the dojo five kilograms heavier because I've just come back off a tour, there's no judgment. There's no, oh, that PT's got a bit fat. You know, it's more top pressure, if anything, at the end of the day. There's no discrimination. And I love being in an environment where we line up in belt order. It doesn't matter what you do, who you are, how many followers or blue ticks you've got. We all get on our hands and knees and wipe the mats after training. And like, there's this positivity in being in like a martial art that I found later on in life that suddenly it doesn't matter how well I'm looking at that period in time. Because I've always said you get like a, a bit of a, triangle where you have like your business your body and your relationships and sometimes when you're focusing really hard on relationships and your business you're you're gonna let slip a little bit on with your eating you're like i can't put my attention on three places and it's so nice to be in a forgiving space like that where i think that if you're in a circle or a, you know a clique of people that they have a slightly different value setting to you it can make you feel very bad and really hinder your self-esteem when you do have these periods where you can't commit to it so I think people just need to be really careful with their values when it comes to what makes them happy and what they get happiness from. Your physique should be a byproduct of, you know, positive daily actions that you take. It shouldn't be the be all and end all because, you know, there are going to be injuries, there are going to be setbacks, there are going to be breakups, there are going to be all kinds of things. There's going to be ultra Miami music week, right? You're going to go to that and ruin your serotonin like I did for about three weeks to recover. <laughs> But at the same time, those who chase, who have a, a body composition goal or a certain look that they're trying to achieve, those people also shouldn't be shamed, I don't think. No, of course. You know? I mean, there's various reasons you can do that just because you like to look a certain way because you're competing in a show or, you know, uh, it's it's a weird thing with the shows, though. I think there's like, like you said, the majority of those people, you know, can end up with attachments to it. And we've all seen the people that like they diet hard for a show and they're so restrictive that as soon as that show's over, they just blow up and put on like 30, 40 pounds. And like, there's definitely room for that. But the attachment to an identity happens in sports outside of bodybuilding and powerlifting. That's true. It just you know, isn't always, it isn't just isn't always reflected in their body composition. Exactly. Exactly. It's arguably a little even or as dangerous because it's a mental thing. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. I think that does happen in other things. Like you could be a soccer player as well. And, you know, when you retired, your your career falls off a cliff, which is mm -hmm. why I think it's so important to say you got your your uh, NFL players. Uh, yeah, NFL, just make sure I'm right. I get confused with NRL. <laughs> These people that are in sports, competing, whatever it is, they should also be working on a business, working on having a good set of people around them, doing other things outside of that, so that one of those kind of legs of the table is taken away then they can go into something else and put their focus in somewhere else. Because these people that are competing are obviously very driven and very dedicated. 
I just think that for their values to have all their eggs in one basket, I don't think is a, is a smart idea. And I can't say this for people. I would never see someone lean for show and be like, oh, you look terrible, because I don't think they look terrible. What I'm disagreeing with isn't how they look. It's maybe the processes that have gone on behind the scenes, the restriction, the potentially... You know, a lot of people are creating huge external pressures on themselves for one day where physiologically, you know, I'd be in a big, if I had to, if I had to prep someone for a competition, I'd be in a big ethical debate whether or not I'd want them to do it natural. I'd be like, bro, I don't want you to get this lean without some tests. <laughs> you know, like it suddenly you're, you're, even I'm not a doctor, I'm not, you know, an endocrinologist, but I know the physiological kind of changes that happen that though, you know, suddenly I'm like, even if it was a family member, I'd be like, get some testing, you know, <laughs> you know let's, let's upregulate some of these these hormones that have been tapered down so low. And then again, that puts you in a tricky position when you're, when you're looking at these athletes. And I suppose a lot of misinformation still exists surrounding these things. I mean, if things could be, I'm not sure if it's the same in America, but anabolic steroids, I think like most drugs should be legalized so we can get some kind of quality control. And I think even with the money you'd make from tax on many of these things, you could then get good advice, give people good PCT, let them know what they're doing. I, I as a personal trainer that trains normal people in, in England, shouldn't be telling dudes that they need to get PCT for their cycle because they bought Dynabol from a guy down the gym. And it, it's those things as well where I'm like, so you've got some kind of psychotherapy. They're like, what's that? I'm like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it's that as well. That I see a lot of young dudes gyno all these issues and i'm like bro what what was this for yeah yeah and i mean and, i always say that and we see it in powerlifting a ton because it all your testing is strength where you get these coaches young coaches who don't know anything about it who have only since taking steroids have been on steroids haven't seen the other end of what coming off that looks like after a prolonged period of time and if they're coaches, like I said, it looks good on them for their clients to make strength progress. So you see a lot of people taking natural athletes under their wing, convincing them to take large amounts of anabolics and then setting them up for potentially like physiological and psychologically disastrous outcomes in the end, you know? And it's like, I think to do it for yourself is one thing, but it, it is a weird thing in the industry. It's like we're we're not doctors, well you are, but <laughs> but you know for for most people they're not, and they're not really educated on it. It's like they're they're passing down information that they got from some big guy at the gym, you know. Yeah, no one should be encouraging anyone to do anabolics ever, unless you're a doctor as, and you. As well with powerlifting, you're peaking your performance up to the day you compete. You perform your best, and the same with boxing. Bar the weight cut, I'm not sure how much you've got for like a weight cut. It's all about peak performance on the day you compete. CrossFit Games, day you compete, whatever it is. This aesthetic bodybuilding, we're kind of seeing a reverse of that where sure. you're tapering down your physiological and psychological position. Peak days are worse. I'm like, this is counterintuitive. And, and this isn't me shitting on people that, that do it. It is a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> I'm like, you're a great person. You have all this, like, uh, eager, you know, you, you have the potential to do so well in something. Let's just take you. It's okay you're loved you look great let's get you into a proper sport <laughs> you know? that's how i feel with a lot of it i'm like here's your gi here's how you tie your belt you're now a martial artist or you're going to go into boxing or you know because the the kind of relationship that i've had in other sports in crossfit i remember no one leaving the gym so i got my first muscle up and i was like this feels so much better mm -hmm. 
than looking at myself in the mirror. First time you compete in jiu-jitsu and, and powerlifting competitions where you get slapped on the back. They're like, pick this motherfucking thing up off the ground. Like, it's a real net positive environment. Mm -hmm. But seeing backstage of people with fake tan and elastic bands, you know, <laughs> trying to get a pump before trying to stand in front of the other person on stage. I was like, bro, we, we, can, we can do better as an industry. That's why I feel like uh, I'm not saying these people shouldn't exist. I'm just thinking there's, I'm thinking about their mental health a lot of the time. I'm like, how long can you do this for? How yeah. how long can you sustain this, and what are you going to be left with at the end? It's and a it's a never ending. Like, women as well, and, and fertility. I think a lot of women, yeah, discontinue competing. They're like, oh, you know, I've had enough. But behind the scenes, they're like, fuck, I really want to have kids. Yeah. And and the aesthetics game is a never ending pursuit. You don't really have these like set targets. At the end of the day, it's it's subjective to what the judges decide looks best. You know, like and it changes. You know, look at what bodybuilding used to be like back in the golden era with Arnold. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a very specific physique they were looking for. And then it turned into this mass monster thing where, you know, the, it was guys like Ronnie and Jay Cutler and all that stuff. So it's like, it, it's really even hard to, I think, ever, you know, it's hard in every sport to be satisfied for somebody who's driven. But like you said, with CrossFit, there are those milestones like I got my first muscle up. I got two muscle ups. You can always come in and try to do one more muscle up. You know, there's a million different skills you can practice. And I think that's way healthier psychologically than like, you, have you ever talked to a bodybuilder who's just like totally satisfied with their career? They're always like, nope, I could have done better here. I could have been leaner here. I could have been bigger here. It's, it's never Thank just you. like done. I, I'm happy. Even, you know? even Arnold, he wasn't happy with his calves. Like there's pictures <laughs> of him in the water covering it up. And then yeah. again, with another ethical thing, say you're on stage and a dude's slightly bigger than you. And you're like, fuck, I need to take a little bit more test, test. And then you're like, that tremble loan I was avoiding, I might have to get a little bit of tremble loan this time, you know? Mm -hmm. And and suddenly, unfortunately, it becomes who's willing to take the most drugs and then who's got the superior genetics to, to handle that? Like, um, I mean, Callum Von Moga, I'm always eyeballing that guy. I was like, you're a dreamy dude. You're a dreamy <laughs> dude. I think he looks great all the time. And I was thinking, you can have the pharmacist on your side, but his genetics for kind of bodybuilding and that frame of holding muscle. So I have admiration for these people, but then I just wonder like 20, 30 years, where, where are these people going to be? What are they going to be doing? Yeah. You never know. He could be an, like a Mike O'Hearn. Just and be forever young. Just, yeah. That guy is Benjamin Button. I think he, he he just, he's like a fine wine. Just gets better with age. He has the tightest <laughs> face skin that I've ever seen. <laughs> are you jealous? Yeah. His, his, his face is really tight. <laughs> But to, to go back to what you were saying earlier about the identity thing, um, I, again, to relate it back to something that, that we're very familiar with is powerlifting again. And you literally see these guys who, and you see it in bodybuilding too. Oh, when I get my pro card, you know, this is going to be when, when everything happens for me and I'll be making money and I'll have all these sponsors. You know, it's when I hit this, get this Wilk score, dot score, whatever total in powerlifting. Uh, and then you had these guys who were putting everything into powerlifting, literally bagging groceries for a living, you know, and then all it takes is one injury or you age out of the sport or some phenom comes by and breaks your records. And it's like you've just put 20 years of your life into this very specific thing that's become your identity. And now what do you do? And it's like we're, we've entered the, uh, you know, more of the combat sports world now, too, with Steffi in boxing and uh with some of the fighters we work with, it's something we try to preach all the time. Like your social media matters. If you're going to have 
if you're going to do something that's so time intensive like combat sports like you're you're in there how many hours a day hours and hours twice a day you know your mind is thinking about it all the time but it's like at the very least you can start doing something on social media start getting your name out there you know do clothing do whatever so it's like an interest savings account isn't it social media is you pay in and a lot of people don't get any returns from it in the first couple of years and they think it's obsolete but they they just fail to see the long game a bit like uh in brazilian jiu-jitsu for your first year two years you suck you suck you get beaten by everyone because everyone is a higher belt than you it doesn't matter how strong you are there are you realize when you start it that people have superpowers and then you're like well this this is bad if you can stick with it for a year or two same with boxing actually i did a bit of boxing you get punched in the mouth you're like that's it then you slip the wrong way and you eat shit and you're like fucking hell and then the first like body shot you get you're like wow that is that's really horrible but you have to go through these periods and and just keep paying and paying and paying in because then after a while you get above that kind of threshold and it starts paying off. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same way that so many athletes and fighters, especially they're so caught on winning, whatever it is that they do overlook the interest savings account of social media, of having a presence of monetizing on the side because they're, they're so driven there. They're almost their greatest strength becomes their weakness at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they honestly, at least like from the experience that I have with the fighters that I know, some of them, a lot of them really resent social media to a certain extent. You know, they, they resent the fact that you have to do the, the, you know, you have to invest in that and you have to pay attention to it and you have to post and be an influencer. They have a really negative connotation with the whole influencer world and social media and they really are adverse to investing any sort of time and energy into that. I think that partially comes from fear of failure though. Like we saw it when, when I started my first business, I was just like, you know what? I am going to dump everything into just posting as much as I can. If I post once, I get two clients. If I post twice, I'm getting four. And I just saw the correlation there. And then this was in the like infancy of, of social media. And there was a lot of people around me who really like took pride and hung their hat on this idea of like, I'm not one of those social media people. Like, I don't do that. I don't put myself out there. I'm not self-aggrandizing. I don't do all these things. And it's like, well, cool. Now I make money and you don't. So <laughs> it's like, I don't know what that point of pride is. But I, I think it's actually a disguise. Disguise is a point of pride. But what it really is, is people are nervous to put themselves out there. It's a hard thing to do. People you know? are nervous about what other people are going to think about them. Exactly. You know, so they'd rather just not participate in that game, especially like you said, you can do a year or two of social media, have almost no success. Nobody's watching your shit. Feels like you're doing it for nothing. That feels bad. And then it's just this repetitive cycle. I am. I tell people all the time when I'm, when I was in that first year in Sydney, I would, I went to, I moved to Sydney and I just started a business Instagram. I actually did everything on Facebook. Facebook slaps, like it does so well. And I read a Gary Vee book and I was like, fuck, I need to get into it. I was late to it, 2017. And I was walking on a treadmill in the gym and I found the five top PTs in Sydney and I followed all of their followers manually, one by one, on a treadmill. And I was like, if one in 10 follow me back, I've got a thousand people following me in the Sydney CBD who are gonna be into fitness. And no one sees that. They never see those yards. They never see that manual kind of repetitive. I would get kicked out after 500 follows. Insta would think you're a bot. And it'd be like, right, come again, come back again in like two hours. Two hours later, back on the bus, manually following people. 
And I can see why a lot of people think they're too proud for that because they think, oh, I'm a great fighter, I'm a great athlete, I shouldn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you say, a few years later down the line, that 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 resent towards, you know, the, those parts of work actually becomes a resent towards someone they perceive not as good as them doing better than them. And I've had this for years because as far as physique, I haven't got, you know, I sat there one day and I was like, I haven't got the best physique, you know, I'm not the best looking guy, I've not got the best genetics. And I was like, I've got good chat, right? I'd like to think I've got a good chat and I can consistently turn up to the social media games to help people with what they need. And I was like, rather than trying to compete with people where they're great, I'm just going to try and do my own thing where I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. And so many coaches I know have seen my rise and gone, what the fuck? I'm a better coach than him. I've got more muscle than him. I've, I've done more SNC coaches than him. But they failed to realize that, you know, ultimately there are a lot of coaches that are great at their job going out of business because they didn't, give enough attention to so many of the different components of being a brand and a business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see it in all industries. You have to change with the times and now social media is a huge part of that, right? Otherwise you end up being the, I don't know if you guys have Blockbuster over there, but maybe you're familiar with it, you know? Otherwise you end up being Blockbuster. It's like, okay, cool, you were great at this one thing, but that one thing doesn't hit the way that it used to. There's not a lot of bodybuilders now. They laughed out Netflix, didn't they? Yeah, they, they, they were like, "Nah, that that would never catch on." Back when Netflix used to send you DVDs to your house, you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to I used to sell that for a job. So I used to, you know, in shopping centers when people stop you and they're like, "Hey, wait, how much do you spend a week at Blockbuster?" <laughs> I actually did that for a sales job. I made seven pounds a sale, so like maybe eight dollars. So if I stop someone, convince them that posting DVDs to them was better than going to the shop, and they bought, I got the equivalent of like eight US dollars, and if I got ten in a day. I was like, I'm making good money. I've done, I've done so many shit jobs. I worked door-to-door <laughs> sales when uh, I was 21, selling gas and electric to people that had gas and electric. Oh, and when rough. you've done these like really tragic jobs, you realize that life is just a numbers game. It really is. And for me, if I knocked on 100 doors, I would sell gas and electric to one person. So instead of crying about it, if I needed four sales, I'd knock on 400 doors. And I think so many people have... I've overlooked that. You you write five posts, you get one client. You need five clients, you do 25 posts. Mm-hmm. And we're now in a world where people just think you went viral. I'm sure guys have messaged you like, what was your, what was your viral post then? Which one was it that you know <laughs> gave you the million followers? It's true. Yeah, it's that funny up. that you actually asked that to people I too. I did. In some, <laughs> but you know what? There, obviously, there's not one post that gives you a million followers, but there's one post that like kickstarts it. Yeah, well, you know, for some people. especially for people who are like social media entertainers through and through, like Bradley Martin. Do you, you know who he is? He his was he was like the first guy on video to jump out of the shallow end of a pool onto dry land. That was his. So that, that was his his video to fame. Juji Mufu was doing like the splits in the chair with the barbell over yeah. his head. Yeah, you know. So those guys that are more entertainment based, they have. Why does America have all of these cool people? Like. You know, in Britain, we're struggling for, for good content creators. You know that. That's why I need to get over. I need, as soon as America opens the border to the UK, I'm coming over because I want to be immersed with the big dick energy that America's got in this in this game. No, yeah, honestly, it's true. I'm originally from Canada, and I don't think that we would have had the success we had if we tried to run the whole business out of Canada. There's, I think just the globe in general is such a huge... Every country is a huge consumer of American culture in general. And then fitness culture is just a byproduct of that. Like I think our, 
after Canada, we have our biggest market is obviously the U.S., then Canada, then Australia, and then the U.K. So it's, it's and India, it's somewhere in there. In yeah, well, and also anywhere that there's a military base because fitness is you know a big part of that. Yeah. So we have people in Japan and Mid East and stuff because of that. But yeah, it's uh, in Caracas because of you. You got a big fan base in your, your hometown. But yeah, I mean, America is. Uh, there's just a lot of like confidence and people trying to do things and the sheer volume of people I think combined with that confidence gets you these wacky awesome characters like Juji or Brad or you know any of the other ones yeah um I wanted to switch gears a little bit you just released another book so uh it's a paperback version of the book I released last year okay. so um you get to release a book twice in essence your hardback paperback so that's being released now as paperback I didn't chart in the charts when I first released it I brought out my audiobook a bit early because the UK went into lockdown I was like oh let's release that I broke loads of audiobook records but I didn't get to chart because of it so now I'm like pushing it I'm like hey guys buy my book again <laughs> so yeah we're doing that for not a life coach and uh yeah I'm not I'm not jinxing it there's a chance I'll get it but I'd beat myself up so much if I came second in the chart hmm. you get in the top 10 you get the accolade but I want to come number one and next week I'm going book signing to the middle of fucking nowhere like I was like I need this fucking number one <laughs> title like so going to Norwich for instance I've bantered for years about never going to Norwich and I was like I'm going to be there with my books like please get me number one you're like, you're like a politician you need everybody's vote now <laughs> yeah, yeah. so what's what's the second book about so um, in, in essence uh, we had Not A Life Coach uh, uh, coming after Not A Diet book in essence, and with the talk that you have seen the crowds in front of, I take certain fallacies that people make within their thinking and make them aware of it. So sunk cost fallacy, that people remain invested in something purely of how much they've already invested into it. But then when they recognize that, they don't make enough of a cognitive difference. And then that's because other fallacies play in like loss aversion, how the feeling of losing something feels psychologically much worse than gaining something of the same value. So, if, for instance, Steffi, if I gave you a mug, and let's say, as soon as I've given you that mug, and Hayden, I give you a, a chocolate bar, I give those to you and you're there. If I told you to swap, you wouldn't swap. You'd look at each other and go, I can't drink a fucking, you know, I can't drink a hot drink out of a chocolate bar. And then the other way around, you'd be like, well, I can't, you know, I can't eat fucking mug. The fact that you've got that, you don't want to give it up. So when you have this loss aversion, people, even if they're in a relationship they don't want, the psychological pain of losing that person feels worse than the idea of gaining someone better. Then we have pessimism bias, where people will always, your phone rings in the middle of the night, you're like, someone's died. <laughs> you know, it's not a wrong number, someone's died. So in the book, I'm making people very aware of the ways that the mind kind of leans into things that makes it very difficult to make the changes necessary for life. And it, it's got values and saying to people like, having a job that pays less that you enjoy more is better than having a job that pays more that you that you hate. Because ultimately there's, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this 100%, when you earn good money, it curbs off the amount it makes you happy. In the onset, you're like, this is amazing. But then after a while, you're legitimately having to buy a Rolex to just keep yourself on your toes. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing by any means. But when you were younger, you probably thought at this stage in life that more money, more happiness, more money, more happiness. But after a while, you get to the point where you're like, I'm just so happy I love my job. You're like, I'm just so happy that I enjoy what I do for a living. 
And I don't think people give themselves permission to be happy where they're at until they see themselves making more money. But life doesn't change that much. Yeah, you have an expensive watch, but you stress about it whenever you take it off. You fly comfortably on a plane, but you were never complaining before you could afford it. it all of these things, I just want to ingrain into people with this second book, like ultimately live a life you enjoy and everything's going to be so much easier. Know when to walk away from things. Know when to stop pursuing something. Don't, you, you know, don't, hold on to a mistake because you spent a long time making it. And I feel that what's amazing is someone could read this book and a year from now, when I see them, they could be the exact same composition, exact same on a Dexa, but they could be a completely different person. And to me, that's, that's quite powerful. And in a climate where a lot of people might not want to diet, it's quite good that I can get in their head and change things without them having to calorie count. I think that's super valuable. I think along that same vein, it's just stillness in general is, is really difficult for people. They're always chasing all, all those things. And you put watches or cars or a house, and then once you have the house of your dreams and you make more money, you're like, ah, oh, I'll get a bigger one now. And you know, like, there's that endless cycle. But I think there's almost like, because of that, there's almost like a point where once I was comfortable enough that I didn't have to, to like, you know, really worry about anything anymore, now it's like the opposite. I'm like, Maybe I'll just move to the woods, you know? Maybe I'll just, like, become a lumberjack or a blacksmith, you know? Like, it's, it, you, it's like, for some reason, there's that weird thing in us that just makes us not able to just chill, you know? And uh, I think that's my way of saying I'm going to read your book, and hopefully I'll, uh, I I'll chill I out need, a little bit. I think I need to I'll, read your book. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll send some. I'll, um, Joe, I, I say that if life goes to shit, I'm just going to open a jiu-jitsu gym down near a beach somewhere. That's it. And I'll knock on doors to get people to sign up. And if I've got maybe like 100 members of the gym, I'll be happy doing that. Like, yeah, I'll have to sell the Rolex and things like that. (laughs) But I'll still have the level of wealth as in enjoying what I do on a daily basis. I feel the exact same. I said to Duran, my best mate, the other day, okay, let's sell our watches and let's go to America and let's backpack and let's stay in hostels. Let's get a cheap rental car and go across. And he goes, we can do that without selling our watches. I was like, yeah, okay, fair point. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I've, I've not got a massive following in America. And um, we were like, we could go under the radar. Like, it'd be nice because in having, uh, say, 800,000 followers in the UK, because our population is so much smaller, if you remove the old people and the young people, it works out like one in 40 people between 20 and 40 follow me. So wow. when, I've, when I've crunched the numbers, I can't go into many pubs without people knowing who I am, which means I have to be on my toes a little bit if I'm being inappropriate. I'd love to go to America, <laughs> stay in a hostel. Someone goes, what do you do? And I'd be like, I'm an entrepreneur, you know, like, and have that fun with it. So uh, yeah, I definitely feel the same. I feel yeah, like I awesome. have the exact opposite view as you guys. It's not that, it, really, it's not, well, first of all, I don't think I'll ever be okay with being still. That's for sure. Yeah. And second of all, well, I actually don't tie money with happiness necessarily. Um, but I think money allows me to do some things that bring me a lot of fulfillment and it has nothing to do with materialistic goods. It has more to do with, with impact and value. You know, I, you know, my ultimate goal is to amass a certain amount of wealth that I can actually work on issues that matter. Not that I'm not doing something that matters. It matters for a certain group of people, you know, to be healthier, to lose weight, you know, in physical therapy, to get somebody out of pain. But, you know, I don't know, be able to build a school and, and educate kids and help them have a better future, be able to do something in agriculture. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, but 
I feel like that's what, and I don't know, I'm talking out of my ass because maybe I get there and I'm like, what? That's it? You know? <laughs> Then you're gonna have to build two schools, and then you're gonna have knows, to build the knows. whole community for, center. For me, it's honestly, it's a, it's a never-ending chase. But I'm happy with it. You know, you yeah. used to tell me you, you're never gonna be happy, blah blah blah. But then I got to a conclusion that I'm happy in the rat race. I'm happy when I'm in that like hamster wheel. If I'm not in it, I'm not happy. Yeah. You know? I think the same goes with performances in general. Like, you can never be fully happy with where you're at. You need to constantly be dissatisfied with your great efforts. Like, uh, and you turn up, you're like, I did my best. I'm proud of that. I could still do better. I think there's, there's always an element of that as well. Like, it'd be nice to go to the woods, but I don't think our psychology would, if, if we're here having this conversation, I don't think we're wired that way. So I'm very, I'm very, I'm very anti-retirement as well. Mm. My mom and dad are very happily retired, but I can't do that. Like the idea of just getting to 65 and stopping, I'm like, nah, and that's in the book as well. Yeah. I'm like, that's not for me. That's, that's, if someone goes, James, how could we give you the worst mental health ever? Give me <laughs> nothing to do. And I'll just be there. So yeah. yeah. People, people fantasize about that day one of retirement. And then they forget that there's years and years and years that follow that. And sitting on the beach, drinking a pina colada gets old pretty fast. You're going to, especially for people like you or me or you, it's, uh, like you said, you always got to be doing something. Yeah. I don't know that that uh, will ever not have that, even like even me. But I still do fantasize about going to the woods. Yeah. I mean, you do you. <laughs> you do you, bro. Um, I have one question that I feel like I should have asked earlier because it's about your not a diet book or slash your, your uh, coaching methods. When you encounter somebody who just doesn't want to track macros, it's just super anti that, really averse to that. What are other strategies that you use to help them out? Well, I'll say to them, there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. And I, I show them that, you know, all these, all these roads lead to Rome. So all of these different strategies do the same thing. So I'm like, we can stop eating until this part of the day. Does it work? Yes, no. We can, you know, stop eating after this part of the day. Does it work? Yes, no. Um, for some people, I've had very strange strategies where people, I said, let me know when you're binging. Okay, cool. You didn't eat for six hours and you binged. Can we then implement more food in this period for a net reduction in calories, which for some people seems bizarre. It becomes like a, a very much a puzzle then, reducing portions, uh, you know, eradicating certain food groups in some cases. I'm very relaxed with it. I think that if I can educate someone, I'm like, look, we need to create this deficit. How are we going to do it? Have you ever had like a niggle in the physio you go see a physio and you sit down and you tell them exactly what the problem is you're like yeah so i've not been resistance training as much as i should i've been training three times a day i probably need to rest more i haven't done any stretching and i've not done any mobility and my shoulders hurt and i think it's an impingement i think the impingement's there because my traps are over there you sit there and you're like fuck i know exactly what i need to do <laughs> when i when i have these clients i say to them so where are you where are you overeating they're like oh, it's definitely the weekends it's definitely alcohol it's definitely being hungry from the sofa and i'm like okay what do you think could help? They're like, yeah, I need to not use it on the head for a bit. So whatever it is, as long as those strategies all point in the same direction. And ultimately I say to them, it's either going to work or it's not. If it works, great. And if it doesn't, we'll try something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah. I think that's a good place to call it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Thank you very much for having you? me. Where can people find you? Uh, James Smith, PT. My mom and dad had one job and that was to give me a decent name. And they came up with James Smith. But <laughs> fortunately enough, I've got to the top of the algorithms a bit where uh, you should see see me anywhere by looking for that. If you if you were to change your name, what would you change it to? Oh, I'd want something it? cool. 
You know, like, I'm jealous, like, Logan Paul, being called Logan, I'm like, that's a fucking cool name. Same name as Wolverine as well, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I have a friend who's, who's uh, she, her name's Hunter, and she's a she. I think that's such a sick name. Hunter. Hun- yeah, Hunter, or like, you know, Logan is like a manly, macho name. It's kind of <laughs> annoying. Like, it, you know, maybe could have something. I'm, I'm not even sure I haven't really exercised this part of my brain, but I'm okay with James Smith. People think I'm lying a lot of the time. You check into a hotel, first name James, so name Smith. They're like, yeah, all right, he fucking chucked <laughs> This guy's, under, this guy's undercover. John Doe. <laughs> uh, and uh, when's your paperback version of your book coming out? Uh, 2nd of September. Uh, it's only in the UK. So if you're in America, you can get it however, which way you'd like. I'm, I'm happy either way, even with charting, not charting. Um, yeah, I just think people would take a lot from it. So thank you for letting me plug that. Awesome. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. I'm going to tear Amazing. it apart. <laughs> I'm going to come over and see you guys as well. That'd be um, awesome, man. When, as soon as I can get over, I'm going to make a little trip to Miami and we can lift some reasonably heavy weights. Nothing too crazy. I don't lift anything heavy anymore. <laughs> God, me neither. But we're going to a jiu-jitsu gym. I'll make it happen and we'll see how we get on. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers, guys. Thanks.